Hello, and welcome to Frankenstein's podcast, where it is all about the monster. I'm Joe Praska. And I'm Khalid Hussein. We're a podcast that picks out movies and looks at their featured creature, monster, beast, alien. Um, Usually we'll be looking at movies, sometimes TV shows, sometimes maybe books, comics, or other things like that. But this week we'll be talking about a movie, which we'll get to in just a Could we do like fast food mascots? Is that a thing? You know, I actually thought about that. Maybe. If there's enough, I, if there's enough desire for it out there, maybe maybe our dear listeners can comment on that. Let's do the creature from Mac and Me as like a backdoor to the McDonald's play place creatures. Smart, smart. Yeah, this is all just a long <laughs> con to find a platform to rant about grimace for me. Yeah. So how are you doing, Cleed? I'm chilling. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. How's it like to be back? This post first podcast episode bliss number two now. I'm excited. We got love from a few uh, listeners, literal day ones. Um, so that was cool. And then I listened to it and I'll be honest, I got through like every minute of it without hating my voice. So we're, uh, we're on to something, buddy. Yeah, I think we're getting there. I, I, it's tough. It's tough to listen to your voice. It's tough to hear the weird like ticks that I say, like, when I was listening to it, I said the phrase meat and potatoes, which I've never said before in my life. But <laughs> That was new. That was new. Yeah. New experiences for all of us. Yeah. Anyway, Khalid, do you want to tell us what movie we're talking about today? Oh, do I? <laughs> all right. All right. So this episode, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite sci-fi movies from 2011, Joe Cornish's Attack the Block. And I'm going to just hit y'all with the quick synopsis plot, whatever, off of IMDb this week. It's got a nice, concise one for you. Attack the Block follows an unlucky young woman and a gang of tough inner city kids who make an unlikely alliance to try to defend their turf against an invasion of savage alien creatures, turning a South London apartment complex into an intergalactic war zone. What a monster. They're creatures of the abstract level potential energy. It's alive! So, Khalid, I think it can already tell, but what do you think about the movie? (laughs) (laughs) This movie slaps, dude. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I just, I want to, like, Paul Revere it just, like, town to town with, like, a bell on horseback just letting people know about this movie, even though it's already almost 10 years old. It still holds up. So cool. What's not to love about it? I, I... I don't know where to begin, honestly. Like, I get overwhelmed just thinking about it. But, like, let's just, like, start with the simple fact that, like, it just creates, like, the, like, coolest gang of kids to hang out with under, like, the most, like, extraordinary of circumstances. And it's, like, lets them be, like, a little bit, like, you know, hard, hard-crusted. Like, they get to swear. They get to, like, fight. And then, and, and then like, the, the stakes are actually high. Like, people are getting killed. And it's, like, at the end of the day, it's, like, this, like, pack of, like, little hood rat kids that, like, I would totally hang out with if I was that age. Ah, man. How about you, man? What did you What did you think? Oh, absolutely! I loved it. It's super fun, super uh, exciting, funny at times, um, meaningful. So, I, I was actually thinking that this was a good kind of a good companion piece to the host from last week, because we talked in that movie about how it mixes like social commentary, humor, subverging, subverting tropes, um, and kind of blends that all together. And this movie does that too, but in in like a different way. 
it, it's its own movie, but it does all that stuff. Um, and I suppose we should take a step back to and just point out that this movie, this movie is directed by Joe Cornish, who um, he kind of hung with the Edgar Wright crew, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a part of that group. Uh, the producer on this has produced everything Edgar Wright has done since uh, I'm pretty sure it was spaced. Um, so yeah, like this is very much like the the Edgar Wright brand of like energy. And like if you've seen At World's End, you will you will see a lot of the same kind of like verb and energy, even though it's different directors. Like just like just the way the action is composed. There's something about these guys where they can make a genre movie and still like explode outside of the confines of any specific like header that you want to try and give them. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of the same kind of DNA in some of those Edgar Wright films as you would in this one. And on top of that, we have um, some stars that a lot of us in the geek community will definitely recognize. And in just general community, we got a young John Boyega, a yeah, young, we do. A young Jodie Whittaker, who we now now currently know as the 13th Doctor from Doctor Who, for those of you who not, might not be sure what I'm saying there. And just a generally, um, maybe some lesser known folks, but a really good rounded cast. Yeah, uh, Franz Drame, who plays uh, Dennis, the like second, the samurai sorted teenager. <laughs> he uh, He's actually kind of big now, too. He's in uh, Legends of Tomorrow. That's and right. he was he was in a recent movie. Let me just uh, cheat and go over to IMDb. Yeah, he was in Edge of Tomorrow, dude. Oh, that's a great movie. We should do that. Yeah, one the, the 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 recent movie I saw it was uh, he was in was the gentleman. He doesn't have much of a part in it, but it's still like a cool like oh attack the block. Yeah, you're still working. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, you're right. This cast is stacked, and uh, John Boyega. Like I swear to God, like pe- I I will always say this. I don't care if people believe me or not. Like after I saw this movie, in my mind, I was already like insistent he had to be in a Star Wars. I, th- this movie reawakened my love in sci-fi at a time when I was like in college, a little bit more into like what dude bros are supposed to be. Like I'm pretty sure I told at least one person like to really think about boondock saints i don't know what that means but i told them <laughs> to <laughs> uh so this movie really like reawakened like that childlike wonderment that sci-fi brings for most people like i swear to you like i never had that kind of attachment to star wars or any of like the seminal classics that everybody always points to there's just something about them that there was always an extra layer of uh association to it like i always i never saw myself in those worlds but this was my world dude like and john boyega is like the awesome like archetype of the kind of kid i thought i was at that age where it's like the 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 apartment complex where most of the action takes place is just like the apartment complex that i grew up in in minneapolis the cedar riverside building shout out uh it's there's something about it like when you've lived in an apartment complex like that and you're a kid like you in your head like make that its own world and like you use like the ins and outs of it all and you have it in your head and so it's like really cool to see someone like joe cornish like bring something so so familiar to me even though it takes place in london this is still such a familiar setting to me and make it like the showcase for an alien invasion like get out of here eight-year-old me get out of here i'm done i'm out of here my head's exploding (laughs) to build off kind of what you said there like it 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 really is its own kind of movie like like you said you didn't really buy into some of those those quote-unquote classics um but the thing i thought was kind of special about this one is it is its own thing but it's also like 
it's an homage to a lot of that old school filmmaking, um, like especially 80s filmmaking. Like we have elements of the the warriors from Walter Hill, like John Carpenter's Attack on Precinct 13, Spielberg, The Goonies. And it pays homage to those those things without copying the aesthetics of it. Right. Like so it builds on those ideas thematically of those outcast kids um, getting in an, in an adventure like this. And it doesn't it doesn't make us feel like we're in the 80s, like something like Stranger Things does. Um, but rather it, it, it just has it infused in its DNA, I feel like. And I like that you bring up Stranger Things, because um, whether you like it or not, like these movies do like, I don't know, these properties draw comparison to each other um it's a bunch of kids dealing with a supernatural or extraterrestrial threat and they for better or worse are going to get compared and i think that this movie really underlines what i don't like about stranger things which is that i can see these kids having a life outside of the fantastic scenario that we are watching them in you know i can see like the lives that the kids in this little like london apartment complex neighborhood like have to do to get by and their anxieties about it all and there's like a real world understanding to them that makes it that much more exciting when they go out and fight with the stranger things kids i just i feel like somebody just like took every 80s or like 70s pop culture thing that got somebody excited put it in a blender and then these kids came out i don't know how else to say it. like it's just like it feels almost like like everything that netflix does like an algorithm more than a person <laughs> so i don't know no shots at stranger things i still love it i'm still a fan but Same. if you're telling me if you're asking me to pick like which group of kids i would hang out with or which group of kids i believe even like it's it's the attack the block kids all the way yeah and one of the other things that I, you kind of gently touched on was just the sense of like social isolation the the kids feel in in the in the in the film like they they're loyal to the block right and the outsiders are almost villainous in a lot of ways because it, it takes on some of those things like uh social class racism um economic disparities and and just shows how isolating that stuff can be yeah no i 100 percent agree with you and there is just kind of like this uh, almost like a, a they're 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 adults via nihilism. You know what I mean? Yes, it's like yes. that they they they're fighting these aliens like at least at first because like they want to be like big tough boys and like there's something so exciting about it and it's like again also just very believable. You know what I mean? You get a bunch of fourteen year old kids together and a small animal like crashes from the sky they're probably going to kill it, right? Like, they're probably going to attack it. Yeah. So that was totally believable. But then it's like when the stakes really hit and those, like, gorilla dogs, which is what we'll be calling the creatures for the episode because they don't actually have a name. But these gorilla dogs, like, when they come in, it's not, oh, let's go get our parents or let's go get an adult. It's the adults suck. Most of them want us arrested. Uh, let's just handle this like we have to handle everything else in our lives. And it's so cool that intersection of like socio-political commentary and just like all around like ba alien fighting get to just like come together absolutely there's a quote from the movie that i wrote down just because i feel like it it really puts a nice bow on exactly what you were saying it's when when they're trying to speculate what the creatures are John Boyega's character, he says, the feds sent them anyway. Government probably bred those things to kill black boys. First they sent in drugs, then they sent in guns, and now they're sending monsters in to kill us. They don't care. We ain't killing each other fast enough. And you know what? 
even with the like knowledge that they came from space, I'm still kind of like, yeah, man, it was probably the feds. Like, like it's believable. Like it's we, a believable part of the story. Like you could you could have went that direction with it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it's like as black people, like I don't necessarily know about like black people's history in like Europe or London specifically, but in America, you know, just dating back as far as even Tuskegee, there is a there is a reasonable amount of distrust that black people have for authorities and inst like governing institutions. It's a reasonable fear because, uh, spoiler alert, we we did not have a very auspicious start in this country. <laughs> so I get it, man. I get it, like that distrust. But I also love that this movie does what every other movie is kind of afraid to do, and they stop at that. They don't no one's sitting there in that room arguing with him about like, yeah, but what if it's an extraterrestrial? Because at the end of the day, guessing where this thing came from is maybe like the ninth or tenth like priority on the list of things you have to do right now. And it's so cool. Like they're so about their business and the movie just has like that kind of just sweet rhythm of like you're never like sitting there going, Okay, where is this going? You're very much invested in every scene because you know that it's all just stacking up consequence upon consequence and action and it's great. I, I keep coming back to it. I don't know what else to say. Like I run out of words to say other than just gush about it. So onto the creatures themselves actually. What what they look like, for those of you who haven't seen it or haven't seen a picture at this point, which if you haven't, maybe pause this and go watch the movie because it's fantastic, as you can tell from our gushings over it. The creatures are um, the idea of like gorilla wolf dog kind of things really should maybe hearken that image in your mind. They're they're black furred sort of ape type creatures that move, move, uh, move around as if they're like running on all fours like like a gorilla would run. Um, and the only thing that is not black on the creatures is a, is this just intense like set of teeth that glows like a tealish green blue color like bioluminescent jaws is basically what they have so and the, they spiral uh, all the way down the throat it, it's horrifying and so what they do what the idea that joe cornish apparently had is he wanted to creatures that could almost look two-dimensional against the backdrop of a really dark alley or a dark corner. And then only thing that makes that makes them pop is those glowing teeth, right? Just, just that enough that you almost like, Oh, are those eyes, but it's teeth. So, so to say the least, the creatures are effectively terrifying. They're very terrifying. And then like, there's, yeah. Like the fact that like you think that the eyes are like that the teeth are eyes at first is like such a great touch. Um, the the little details um, uh, that they put into its movement uh, are so fascinating. Um, we both watched the creature feature bonus uh, on the DVD, and uh, it was two guys uh, in the actual practical costumes throughout the entire feature film. Uh, the lead person in the costume was Terry Notary, who's like gone on to be like a pretty big actor, right, Joe? Yeah, he's a he's a well-known stunt coordinator, actor, and his main gig is is a is a movement coach, a double and a movement coach. So he he actually kind of invented how the creatures run, right? That kind of gorilla movement. He actually had to hold uh, like arm extenders and like run on all fours like that. And it's so cool when you see like how they do it too in the in the bonus feature. I highly recommend getting the DVD just for the bonus because I, I've loved this movie for over ten years, and it was the first time I saw it, and it just gave me such a new angle to love it all on. I I just need to watch bonus features more. I think bonus features so, are great. 
<laughs> they really are. I'm yeah. going to just start YouTubing them. But, um, so like the way that Terry and his uh, partner like came up with like the movements, even it's like, it's counterintuitive. Even if you were to run on all fours, it's counterintuitive to how you would run on all fours just to make it more believable for how this animal would do it. And it's so cool. And they're doing like crazy leaps and stuff while wearing these heavy electronic gizmos and man like it, the amount of thought that goes into like all of it is so fascinating and it pays off too because like that animal gave 20 year old me nightmares <laughs> yeah and, and kind of contrary to the host last week which was pretty much entirely cgi most of this as you as you could tell from hearing that it's a dude it's dudes in suits uh very little cgi is done on this and joe cornish intentionally wanted it for not only budget reasons but he wanted there to be like a sense of tangibility with the creatures and the fear that the actors were having when interacting with those creatures like just imagine being on set and you're like all right then you just start seeing this this person in a black furry suit with glowing teeth running straight at you like that can that can definitely bring out some real feelings <laughs> on set i think right yeah yeah they uh, it would terrify the crap out of me and that actually brings me uh to my next point which is last week i brought up a new metric that i'm going to try out with some of these animals we'll see what happens uh it's called the four bears test and it's a simple question uh, could you replace the titular or the primary monster in a monster movie with four bears and more or less get the same story? Uh, it's it, I, I, I don't know exactly what the point of the test is other than to just make people think about four bears attacking, but uh, that's enough for me right now. And if I come up with a more educated answer, I'll give it to you, but you're not getting it. Not now. <laughs> so, so for this movie... Um, it's a little tough because for about two thirds of the movie, yeah, it aces the four bears test because it's really like these things are actually smaller than the average bear from what I could tell. Um, and children can defeat it. So, so yeah, it passes the four bears test for about two thirds. And then the third, the third act is just like hundreds of them like uh coming together which where were they for the whole movie dude <laughs> i'm just realizing like there's so many of like, th this movie would be i guess it would be a lot shorter of a movie if that many had shown up at first but i'm just like what's where's the sto what's the story with them like what what were they like were they terrorizing another group of teenagers somewhere else like that give me that sequel but uh, so the third act kind of fails the four bears test, but I'm going to give it an overall pass because so much of like the danger and the suspense and the plot before it, like really, really hinged on just a couple of these beasts around. And that's just as scary as four bears guys. Don't, don't kid yourselves. They do a really good job of making them seem, uh, alien and animalistic. Like they're not, they're not really like intelligent creatures. It seems like, like, do you remember the noises they made? Yeah, I uh, I remember they said that the sound designer basically just made like every animal screaming, including like a woman. Like, yeah, that's the that's the noise they make, and so, it's like, yeah, that's what I hear. So here I have this written down. The, it was the echolocation noises made by the creatures were a combination of dolphin sonar mixed digitally with the grunts and snarls of dozens of other animals, and even a woman screaming. So yeah, yeah, it's I mean, mix that's, that all that's together. What I heard. It's, it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah, you could pick out those individual pieces, Khalid. Yeah, in a lineup. Yeah, if you just like made all those animals scream. I'd be like, "Yep, that was right. that was there. Saw that in the movie." <laughs> yeah, and um, 
And on top of that, uh, one of the other things that I found was kind of interesting is like we've talked about and kind of gushed about the practical effects work, but there was a little bit of CG work done. Um, and a lot of the work was done by a company called Spectral Motion, uh, led by Mike Elizalde, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's, uh, he did a lot of work on like Guillermo del Toro films, which I'm sure we'll touch on in this podcast. But, um, but he, uh, he, he talked about like some of the post, the post, uh, production pieces, they added those rows of teeth that you mentioned that just spiral all the way down because you can't, it's hard to get down the throat. Yeah. I keep coming back to the throat because it's like. <laughs> How unpleasant must that be? Like teeth in your throat. Like you like I already hate when I get like a popcorn kernel food oh, yeah. back there. Like can you imagine if a, t- a tooth just there? Yeah. Just multiple teeth? I'd like do they you know like some species like lose teeth a bunch and regrow them like do they just lose them and then just eat them? Honestly, or? I don't I don't blame them for being so irate if we're being <laughs> if we're being frank. Like yeah. that would keep me cranky too. Yeah. Um and I I I found an interview online with that uh Mike Elizalde, who runs Spectral Motion, he talked about designing these creatures. And I thought this was kind of interesting to bring up. And he said, and I quote, so what we did is we created the creatures out of fur suits, put in the electronic elements and so on. When they shot, they retroscoped out every single aspect of these creatures. So there's no contour to them whenever they're in the darkness. If you watch the movie again and you watch carefully, there isn't any reflected quality to the aliens at all. So all you see are those ferocious glowing choppers. It's a pretty great idea that he came up with. And he's referring to director Joe Cornish. And that just to give her credit where credit's due, that's from an article from Daily Dead. Yeah. And uh, the darkness really like does so much like on the joking level, like the one dude who's like, oh, my God, the darker that's blacker than my cousin. Like that, like that was (laughs) hilarious in and of itself. But um, with these, uh, with these kinds of monsters and stuff, like even if you're doing a practical, like they really benefit from like, just like shadow, like the dark and to make this thing literally as like black as night is like such an extra level of terror where it's like, it's bringing the shadow with it. You know, there's, I don't know. It's like, it, it's, it's like how, like those kids are reacting like criminals that see Batman, you know, it's <laughs> like. That 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 thing is here for trouble. Like, there's something about it, like cloaked in black, leaping off of like buildings. Like, it's got its sights on you. It's, uh, it's it's always gonna evoke a feeling of like terror. So it's like kudos for going that route with like the design choice. And um, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but um, Joe Cornish actually uh, said that he came up with this movie watching signs like he saw Hmm. signs loved it and he was like wow what if this had happened in like my old like neighborhood growing up and i love that like that's the kind of like cool little like wow there's a direct correlation like i'm a hundred percent sure that there's some sci-fi that has been inspired by attack the block but to know that that was like almost entirely inspired by another sci-fi movie which probably was inspired by another like this podcast is like awesome specifically so that I can maybe find like a through line. I'm going to have like my wall just like littered with like papers and like strings connecting them by the end of this. Like that's what I truly believe because the influences and inspirations that come with all of these movies is so cool to like discover. So you're going to have like a sci-fi monster movie murder board on your wall. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there was a lot of really cool references in this too. I think I don't, I don't think I mentioned it yet, but I thought it was really fun how 
the, the the kids just came up with different names for the creatures every time. There was like the gorilla wolf dog thing they called them, but with more expletives. Yeah. But they also at some point called them gremlins. They called them Dobby. They called them Gollum, which they don't look anything like any of those things. That was probably more of like uh, these kids definitely watch Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. And like they know they have to like inject pop culture references into their day to day at least 20 times to be cool. <laughs> so ultimately, Monster's pretty cool, huh? It's pretty cool. Pretty great monster. I'm a fan. Me too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. They're super unique, uh, scary, effective. Um, but the big question that I have for you, Khalid, about these monsters is, um, would you fight them or flirt with them? Oh, the big question. Uh, for those of you who might just be catching up on this as your first episode, we have a segment that was actually contractually stipulated. Uh, I would not do this show with Joe unless he let me decide whether I would fight or flirt with the given monster of the week. So that being said, this week, I'm going to have to go with fight because last week, my rationale or not last week, last episode, my rationale <laughs> last week, <laughs> <laughs> last episode, my rationale was that I would flirt with the host monster because he very, it, it, he, I say he, I don't know why I'm gendering it. It was super like capable of just like eating people on the fly if it really wanted to, but it grabbed a few of them. It took them back to, to its house, to its little little sewer thing, and it needed company. And I was like, I see that in you. I see how starved for companionship you are, and I can bring that to your life. This week, though, I got to say, if there's one thing that these monsters didn't seem like they were lacking, it was company. They, they're pack creatures. Um, they already are like obsessed with like the one female in their species, as far as I could tell. Uh, and I'm not a com- competitive guy like that. If there's one thing you need to know about me is that if there's a challenge, I will shy away from it. And that goes doubly for like wooing or fighting for the attention of a, of a gorilla dog against like the queen gorilla dog like that's not that's not fair like what are you gonna put me up against like beyonce for jay-z's love like that's never gonna work i'm, I'm out of there i lose so that being said they don't really need the company and honestly the like littlest of children were murdering them so i really really believe i'm a 30 year old man all right i'm a i'm a grown man Okay, I like pay cable bills, so I think I could take this beast out if I had enough warning. <laughs> but yeah, if you give me enough, if you give me enough of a heads up, like I'm sorry, like the 14 year olds beat you, children with super soakers beat you. I think I can beat you. So the verdict is fight it. For those of you listening, the movie began with the female coming down. I don't think we mentioned that earlier. The female was the first like smaller creature that came down that was killed. And then the all the furry ones were, were uh, presumably the males that were coming after it. Yeah. And I mean, I just, that's like the one, if I had to have one critique of the movie, like that's like, it's, it's when you even get like plausible answers about these creatures that it all starts to fall apart for me, where which is like. What is what is your species' end game? Do you all just like mate with the girl? Like, does she just lay a bunch of eggs like a spider? Which fine, fair, but you also just like not even in spaceships or anything, just like somehow 
telepathically like hover through space and like go wherever she goes. It's all, I mean, once you accept it's aliens, you kind of have to accept everything else that comes with that, with that being the case. And to the movie's credit, it didn't try to answer those questions. So I don't even actually have anything to criticize other than the suppositions of the characters. Yeah. A lot of that stuff that's kind of, kind of wonky is, is pretty much just speculation by some of the characters. And, and as we know throughout the movie, like they are, a lot of them are incredibly high throughout some of the movies. So you can kind of see the, <laughs> the leaps they take to get there, which is, which I'm willing to accept. I'm willing to accept that's not probably the accurate answer for the creatures, but I like that. That's what they came up with. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it was like a believable like thing too. like if you got high and watched a nature documentary like 10 minutes before everybody comes busting in talking about aliens, you're probably gonna be like, you know, I just heard about this thing. That might be it. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's not an encyclopedic dude. Like he literally just like mentioned something he saw on TV. Like, honestly, it was probably it would have hurt them if he wasn't if he wasn't so dead on about it. But like in real life, it would be like, oh, I just saw a Facebook article about this. Let me t- I'm the expert. Like that's that guy. All right. Before we take off, I think it's important to note that we are now, our podcast is on Twitter and Facebook. So if you enjoy it, please find us there, Frankenstein's podcast. Um, Khalid, where can we find your work? No, I'm not working right now because of <laughs> Corona, like everybody else. Yep. But if you want to keep up with the stuff that I've worked on in the past, um, I have a few short films that are one is on Aspire TV. It's who, you know, and then uh, a short film that I produced is currently in a few festivals. It's called Hermit. Um, yeah. If anything big comes up, I'll, po- I'll post about it or tell Joe to post about it. But um, other than that, you can follow me on my Instagram. It's a uh, nappy underscore Gilmore underscore uh, spelled how it sounds, I guess. So yeah, check me out. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's my name, Joe Praska, P-R-A-S-K-A. So you can follow me there for all my hot takes. I also am doing some writing for Twin Cities Geek, as I mentioned in the first one. I had a few recent articles come out, um, and I will sh- I'll generally share those. But if you want to see more from me, it's TwinCitiesGeek.com. So yeah, subscribe to this podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts now. Maybe leave a review if you like. Otherwise, Khalid, do you want to mention what we're, what we're talking about next week? Next week? Next yeah, time? Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be the first monster or creature I have no knowledge of from before, but it's from the movie Ultimate Beastmaster. So uh, it'll, I'll be coming in fresh. So you guys are going to get like just like Krispy Kreme, like fresh and ready, hot light on opinions from me. Uh, <laughs> Joe, what is the name of the monster that I'm going to be Krispy Kreming about? It's- God, I don't like that I described it like that. Yeah, it's it's staying in. Uh, <laughs> okay. They're called the Winged Devourers from the movie The Beastmaster in 1982, a classic sword and sorcery flick. It's a big change, a left turn from the stuff we've been covering so far. So it's not like a monster movie or a horror movie. It's a it's an old school fantasy. So it's kind of it'll be kind of fun to see where see where what uh, where that takes us. Yeah. So check that out. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.